after this service and going for 50 days, we're going to pray. You know, in Luke 11, the disciples said to Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus went and gave them the Lord's Prayer. Um, that prayer is not just meant to be prayed, but it's meant to be lived. And so for the next 50 days, we're going to be living and praying uh, with Jesus. We're going to be uh, enacting the prayers of Jesus. So I would encourage you to be a part of it. The prayer room is right back there. It's uh, in the midst of getting sort of a fresh cleanup for this year. Um, I went, uh, so for literally 50 days, there will be someone in that room praying every minute of every hour of every day for, for 50 days. About 1,200 uh, hours of prayer multiplied by however many people you can stuff in there or in the sanctuary. Um, Jesus is going to hear a lot from us in the next 50 days. And um, specifically, uh, I think I'm praying and asking that uh, we'll have 500 different people that come in and experience the prayer room or corporate prayer in the sanctuary during that time. And my, my hope is that um, 30 different churches in the city will experience it. And I add that prayer because we're a kingdom people. I'm not interested in... Um, you know, church people from other churches coming in and say, the vineyard's cool. They pray for 50 days. We're pansies. I don't want that. What I am doing is intentionally inviting pastors and leaders that I know from other churches and organizations and inviting them to bring their leaders in. So if you want to come with your staff or you want to come with your elders, you want to get away from the place where God's called you to just a sanctuary, a place where you can uh, encounter the king and extend the kingdom of God through your prayers. I, I want to invite people into that. So if you have friends who are leaders in churches or other Christian organizations, invite them in. The prayer room is for the city. It's not just for us. So you're thinking to yourself right now, how could I get my own time to pray in the prayer room, right? Oh, yeah. You were thinking that. Good. <laughs> I'm going to show you that. Are our slides up and are we good? Are our slides dead? Oh, good. Okay. So there's a big chart out there in the lobby. And the chart has those 1,200 hours of prayer. And if you were, say, Barry Tucker, family pastor, um, you, would, you would go out there and you'd say, I really want to pray. God, when do you want to meet me? When do you want to encounter me? When do you want to hear my prayers? And you'd look over that calendar and then you would zero in on a specific place. The invitation of God, for most of you, probably somewhere between 2 and 4 in the morning. <laughs> no joke, 5 a.m. on is pretty much taken already. So you've you got you to get in there. But Jesus loves 3 o'clock. Just saying. Okay. You will, find your, <laughs> you will find your time on there. And uh, once you do that, you'll write your name in there says Barry wrote his name down there. Barry and Trish are going to pray. You'll notice that Barry and Trish put a cell number or any phone number that they could be reached at right before they pray. Doesn't have to be a cell number, but wherever you're going to be before you pray. Because if that was, say, three in the morning and Barry and Trish, for some reason, weren't, hadn't shown up yet, guess what the person before them would get to do? Take their phone and, and say, hey, Barry, Jesus is waiting for you. And you have fallen asleep or something more encouraging than that. OK, um, so you write your name down um, and put a phone number in there. 
doesn't have to just be you. It can be you. You could be your home group. It could be your ministry team. It could be, you know, whatever you want in there. And uh, after you've done that, you'll write down on the little handy reminder card. And I mean it seriously. I, I committed before the Lord to go to the vineyard and pray at this time. And so you write that down and then you'll transfer that to any electronic device or plastic tech to your forehead or where, however it helps you to remember. And on that amazing day at that amazing time, you'll wake up or leave work or whatever you do. You'll come into the church. You'll find the entrance where there's that little white thing. It'll be one of those out there. I can't remember which. You'll press that button and a friendly face will come to the door and greet you. <laughs> It will not always be mine. <laughs> so don't get your you know, hopes up there. Um, once you're greeted by a happy and joyful person, you'll walk into the sanctuary, which is right here. These doors right here. You'll take a right. You'll go right over to the prayer room. And that happy, joyous person will pray for you. And so I, we actually will be formulating a prayer from uh, Colossians 1. It's actually I'll be on the back of your handout if you get it today. Colossians chapter one, a prayer that we're going to pray for one another, uh, you know, 1200 times for 50 days, a biblical prayer of encouragement. And you just pray whatever you want for them. But if you need something, you can use that prayer. Imagine that it's one of the best parts of the prayer room is people that have never met each other end up in the presence of God together, praying for one another, passing the baton of intercession and encounter one to the uh, to another. I mean, it, it is really, really cool. Um, uh, once you do that, you'll walk into the prayer room and you'll begin to pray. Now, hopefully, scary Robbie Heiser will not be in the window there peeking at you. We were just having some fun. Okay. Um, there is a window. There is a kneeler. You can pull it shut. You know, no peekers. Jesus is there with you. You're safe. Okay. So that is, um, that's how you sign up for a time of prayer. The prayer room is interactive. I'll talk more about it next week when I talk about the Lord's Prayer and, you know, how, what in the world would I do for an hour of prayer. But it's very interactive. There'll be walls where you can paint and draw, art supplies, books, resources, a kneeler, a couch. There'll be an iPod with all sorts of worship music on it. Um, the team is really working on uh, the senses being engaged in prayer. And so um, they're making some different scents, little cloths with scents on them in plastic bags. So no one who's scent phobic like I am freaked out, scent sensitive, right? <laughs> Sensationally sense sensitive. I'm tired and there's too much coffee. <laughs> it's going to be great. So go back in the prayer room, actually, to, right after the service, go back and take a look at it. Um, you've got a whole week to sign up. We'll be signing up through the 50 days, but actually it's getting full already. So uh, we've uh, put in there a number of corporate times, 6 a.m., for instance, a corporate time. So anyone in the church or around the city, every single morning at six o'clock can come in here and encounter God. We'll do it together. We'll actually be um, worshiping and praying through the names of God during that time. It's just going to be awesome. Um, and lots of other stuff happening there. Um, so look at that, check your bulletin, all sorts of fun things. Um, another thing that we're providing is uh, we've got 40 days of prayer in this booklet within our 50 days. This booklet, uh, Seeking God for the City, is put out by Waymakers. 
a guy named Stephen Hawthorne, sort of a personal intercessory missionary hero of mine, um, but great information and resources for prayer. So we've got these available out on the connection table. Um, we suggest a donation of $2. Give whatever you can. If you can't afford $2, take the book. It'll be really helpful. Um, it's, it, it's just great. That's all I have to say about it. Um, if you're kind of technically, uh, technologically oriented, there's an app. The app is 99 cents. I downloaded it the day I found out it came out. It is really, really good. Everything in here and more give you the whole world to pray for. So um, that makes, that's great. Okay. Did I say everything I was supposed to say about that? Let's just take uh, 20 seconds or so. Let's be quiet before the Lord. Let Randy calm down. And uh, just quiet your hearts before the Lord. Um, I'm going to talk this morning about the motivation for kingdom living, the foundation of, of our lives in Christ, and it's really what God has already done. So uh, if you just take a few moments and prepare yourself to hear the good news. Scripture is so clear that where two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, that he himself is right in the midst of them. So it's not uh, wishful thinking or fantasy or myth to say that Jesus is present here with us. He's right here. He's within us. He's upon us. He surrounds us. In him we live and we move and we have our being. Lord Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you communicate with us this morning? Would you speak to us? Lord, would you use um, my thoughts and my words and by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, make them your thoughts and your words in our hearts. Give us discernment to know what's true and preserve the truth, Lord. And I ask that you would uh, so implant and that truth within us and so empower us with faith and courage that walking out this morning, we'd, we'd walk out different people. More filled with your love and your power. More filled with your compassion for the lost. Longing more for holiness and righteousness. So much more willing to be broken by the things that break your heart. And so much uh, more capable of walking in the righteousness, peace, and joy of the kingdom. Lord, we know that only you can do that. So do it, Father, what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. If you have a Bible uh, in any form, electronic, whatever, uh, you can open it to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Now I'm going to read five verses from Colossians 1, but I'm just going to talk about three of them. Um, the beginning of this prayer of Paul, I've actually got on the back of the handout. Because I think the prayer is, is important, and it's the prayer we'll be praying for one another for the next 50 days. But underneath the prayer is the motivation for Christian living. 
And it is really the foundation of what God has done for us that, that causes us to be kingdom people and enables us to walk out life in the kingdom. <clears throat> and so before I read this, the context of Colossians chapter 1, Paul's writing to the Colossian believers, so the church gathered in Colossae, and um, you might think, you know, that he's coming heavy-handed, like, you got to shape up, you know, I'm writing you a letter to tell you what you're doing wrong. That's not at all the context of Colossians 1. He had some issues to address in the second and third chapter. But the beginning of Colossians chapter 1, which I won't read, is essentially, you guys are awesome. The Greek equivalent. You guys are awesome. You're doing it. You are an emblem of faithfulness. You are showing your love to one another. The gospel has clearly been implanted within you, and its power is flowing out of you. I mean, he's really saying, like, you guys are doing a great job. And then he starts, because you're doing so well, because you understand it, now this is what I pray for you. So I want you to hear the prayer, and I want you to hear the foundation for Christian living as an encouragement. Not here's what you need to live up to, but here's what God is calling you to. Here's what he's empowering you to. You know what? Here's what we're doing. None of us are living perfectly, but we are living courageously. We are living faithfully. We are pursuing God with all our hearts, our minds, and our strength. And I just want to say, you know, keep on. Let us not focus on, on the stuff that drags us down. Let's focus on where God's empowering us and keep moving forward. So let's uh, consider that as we read this prayer from Colossians chapter 1. This is the word of God. And so from the day we heard, that's all those good things, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Those first couple verses, that prayer, you know, it's filled with what only God can do, the wisdom and the strengthening. And then there's that stuff that only we can do, walking out the patience, walking out the endurance, choosing to rejoice, choosing to give thanks, choosing to bear fruit. So I'll let, I'll let you work on that uh, in the next week and over the next 50 days as I pray that, as we pray that for one another. But I want to look to these last verses, Colossians 1, 12 to 14, because down here, we've got Paul's emphasis like, here's why you can do it. Here's what God has already done. The foundation of our life in Christ is not what we've done for Jesus, but it's what he's done for us. And so I think it's good as we embark on 50 days of, of effort, right? 50 days of prayer. For 50 days, we're going to encounter the king. For 50 days, we're going to pray for the kingdom to go out. For 50 days, we're going to be conscious of living out the kingdom in our midst, reaching the poor, caring for the weak, spreading the gospel of the good news, loving, forgiving, 
We're gonna, I mean, it's 50 days of work we're going into. And the only reason we can pursue that is because we have been pursued. Because Jesus has done the work. And that's where I want to spend the rest of our time this morning. So uh, four things we're going to look at here in this particular passage. Four things that God has already done for us in Colossians 1. And number one is this. Uh, we have been qualified. God's given us a new status. We've been qualified. The indication in here is before we met Jesus, we were disqualified. That doesn't feel good, but it rings true. <laughs> Before we met Jesus, we were disqualified. Though the word to, to qualify, it's, uh, it means to make sufficient, to render fit, to actually empower someone or something for the purpose it was made. So God, you know, through Jesus has qualified us. He's empowered us to do what he's called us to. Second Corinthians uh, three, Paul says this. We're confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It's not that we think we're qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of this new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the spirit. God has qualified us. He's given us a new status. So if you're watching the Olympics, how many of you are, are, I mean, I love, nobody, just me? You're just too tired. Okay, good. I especially love the Winter Olympics because I love to ski. I just, I I love the fast pace. I love the danger, you know, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. I love it all, you know. You think about, you know, the stories that you've seen over the last couple of weeks of the Olympics. These people who have been training, I mean, that one ice skating couple, they started skating together at four years old or six years old or something. I mean, that's, that's amazing. That's almost doesn't seem right. You know, I mean, that's incredible. Think of the work that they've put in to qualify for the Olympics. I mean, they've given lifetimes. They've given up everything else. They've given up money and career. Some of them to qualify for the Olympics. And once they get into the Olympics, here's the scary thing. One false move. One mistaken thought, and they get what? Disqualified. All that work, and after their one run, no one's ever heard of them again. I mean, that, that is the way of the world. You work hard to qualify yourself, and you work hard to keep yourself there, because one false move and you're out, right? That is not the way of the kingdom. That is not the way of the kingdom. The scripture so clearly says, he has qualified us. God has made us adequate. He's qualified us. It's like, you know, we're, we've been, uh, we came up to Jesus and said, we want to be in the eternal Olympics. And Jesus looked at us and said, you know, I love you, but you haven't got what it takes. That's the reality. We couldn't qualify ourselves. But it's like Jesus said, I'm going to take you under my wing. In fact, I'm going to endue you with power. I'm going to qualify you. And that's what he did at the cross. He qualified us who believe. He said, you are worthy. We were unworthy. You've been made worthy. We were disqualified. We're now qualified. And you know what? We cannot disqualify ourselves. Some, some of you really need to hear that. You cannot disqualify yourself. You can make mistakes. 
But you can't get yourself kicked out of the kingdom because of your imperfection. You didn't get in because of your perfection. You can't get out because of your imperfection. I mean, that's just an essential gospel truth we have to get. We've been qualified, the scripture says, to, uh, to share in an inheritance in the saints in light. It's typical Paul. A bunch of words that have a bunch of meaning. You go, oh my gosh, what is it? And I won't go into it all. I don't think I understand it all. But suffice it to say, we've been qualified to receive an inheritance. Our inheritance, the kingdom of light. Our inheritance, eternal life. Our inheritance, security in our place and our position in Jesus. That's our inheritance. That's what we get. It was given. We can't disqualify ourselves. But let me throw in just this little caveat. We have been qualified to receive an inheritance, eternal life, not due to our own merit, but the merits of Jesus. Not because we lived a perfect life, but because he did. Not because we'll sacrifice our lives, but because he sacrificed his. We're qualified. We can't disqualify ourselves from that inheritance of eternal life. But we can choose to live in poverty. I've done it. We can choose to live in spiritual poverty. We can choose to live outside of the reality that we've been qualified to live in the inheritance of the kingdom and the saints in light. You know, we can walk into church and feel ashamed. I don't fit. I, I don't. If people only knew. So I just let me remind you, there is one who knows. It all. And he's the one that qualified you. And he's not angry. He says, I'm so glad you're here. Where else are you going to go? <laughs> but into my presence and with my people. God has qualified us. How? Jesus. Who? You. Um, one of my issues sort of through life was just low self-esteem. Like, man, do, could God ever really accept me? Would people accept me? Kind of. Once I got over, okay, I think God can probably handle me. But I'm not sure, like a spokesman for God, pastor, not going to work, right? And I heard a pastor say, it had a huge impact on me. You may have heard it too, that God doesn't uh, call the qualified. God qualifies the called. God didn't look around and say, oh, you've got it all together. You are just a perfect model for me. I'm going to bring you into the kingdom because you've done such a good job. No, he doesn't do that. I won't point at anyone here. He just basically says, you, Randy, you've really mucked it up a bit. You really need some help, but I've called you. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to place Jesus in you. And I'm going to cover you with Jesus. And I'm going to bring you into the eternal kingdom of God, which begins now, not after we die. Now, the kingdom is here now. And he says, now. Because I've called you, I'm going to make you all good. I'm going to qualify you. I mean, that truth will change your life. It will change the lives of people around you when we start walking in inheritance, right? Not walking in pride and not walking in presumption, but in inheritance. Who am I? I'm a child of the king. He, he, he said I could be here. He gave me everything. So we've been uh, qualified. We have a new status and second here, uh, Paul's declaring that we've been delivered. We have a new freedom. We've been delivered. We have a new freedom that we never had before. 
this word, when I think of deliverance, when I think of, uh, of another word, rescue, when I think of that, I kind of think of, there's a game we used to play when I was a kid, you know, where you'd go around at night and people would hide. And, you know, once you were touched, then you were freed. Once you were found, you were freed. That's how we played it anyway. And um, so I, I think of deliverance as, you know, someone comes, they set you free to go off on your own. That's what I think of as deliverance. That's not biblical deliverance. The word actually means to draw to oneself. So when Paul says that Jesus delivered you or rescued you, it's not Jesus came into your hellhole and said, you're free, go, go on your own. Jesus came into your hellhole. That was your life before him. That was your sin. Me too. Jesus came in there and he said, I need you close to me. I don't want you to live. This, this isn't you anymore. This life of sin is so last year. Let's not do this anymore. And he, and he draws you to himself. That's what he did to each and every one of us in the kingdom. He drew us close to himself. He came into our hell with his heaven and he said, come close to me. Be close to my breast, near to my heart. That's what it means to be delivered, to be rescued. And so Jesus came on this rescue mission from heaven to earth and in the midst of earth to our lives. The mess that we'd made of them. And he said, come close to me. That's our, de- that's our deliverance. God doesn't push us. He draws us. God doesn't push us. He draws us. He's always drawing us. Romans 7, uh, 24 and 25, Paul's writing. You can probably relate to this. Paul says this. I've discovered this principle of life. When I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Isn't this comforting? This is the Apostle Paul. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. And this power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. And some of us would just stop the scripture right there, but I won't do it (laughs) because Paul recognizes there's a truth. I'm a miserable person, but he recognizes in the next sentence, a greater truth. There's truth. And then there's greater truth. And the greater truth is this. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul is recognizing in Colossians and in 2 Corinthians, we can't deliver ourselves. We can't rescue ourselves. You know, God helps him who helps themselves, that thing. It's not in the Bible. No version of the Bible can you find that. Here's what you find in the Bible. God delivers those he loves. God delivers those he calls. God delivers those he draws to himself. God delivers because he's a deliverer. I mean, that's the work of God and only God can do that. So I remind you of that because you can't rescue yourself. You couldn't do it from sin and you can't do it now. You know, how many... Maybe some of this, this is our experience. How many alcoholics, how many drug addicts, food addicts, porn addicts, whatever addicts, you know, have come to that point in their life. And they say, you know, okay, now I realize now I've got it. Okay, I can do it now. That is the beginning of the end, right? As soon as you say, I can do it. I'm on my own. I've got it, right? As, as soon as you say, I've got it, you know, you haven't got it. 
Because we need to be delivered. We need deliverers. We need to be rescued. We need to be rescued by Jesus from the sin that was sending us to hell, from the sin that still wants to entrap us in hell-like living now. We need the deliverer. We need God, and we need God's people. So it's a reminder. But the other reason I remind you of that forcefully is because all those people around you, you know, you look at their lives and you think, how could they do that? How could they live like that? What were they thinking? And I just want to remind you, they can't rescue themselves. They can't deliver themselves. They need a deliverer. They don't need someone to bang the Bible over their heads. They need the truth, but they need the truth in love. They need Jesus. And so when we see those people, you know, that's why we pray. Because those family members and coworkers and neighbors and friends and enemies, they cannot deliver themselves. They need a deliverer. And he's in us. The kingdom's within us and everywhere we go, it goes. So we've been qualified. We have a new status and we've been delivered. We have a new freedom. And we've also been transferred into a new dwelling place. So um, probably a lot of us have um, changed jobs through our careers, right? You, you know what, it, what it's like to feel delivered from a job, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Okay, I'm getting like, a, you had a job, seemed like a good idea at the time, right? And, you know, like three years or one day in, you're going like, this is, this is going to kill me. And you say, Lord, deliver me from this job. And then you go in and you get yourself fired or whatever it is that you do. You know. that, that, there's a deliverance there. But once you've been delivered, what do you do next? In fact, a lot of people in our society today, in our economy, have been delivered from a bad job. What they want is to be transferred into the good one, you know. It's not just getting out of the bad. They want to be delivered to the good. Jesus didn't just deliver us from the bondage of our sin and say, there, you're free. Now, don't screw up again. He, He didn't do that. Remember, he rushed into our sin and our difficulty, and he drew us close And more than that, he carried us out. So the scripture clearly says we've been qualified to share the inheritance of the saints in light. And we've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness. But we've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. Some translations say uh, transferred into the kingdom of the son he loves. So the image for me is this. You were, (laughs) we were. They're feeling unqualified. And Jesus looked and he said, but I want you. So I'm going to qualify you because of Jesus. And we were sitting there in our bondage to sin. We didn't have a choice but to sin. He said, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to bring you close. You're going to feel my holiness and my righteousness and my joy. And you're going to walk in those things. But it's not just deliverance. It's transferred. He actually said, you know what? We're going to a new kingdom. I'm giving you a new home. You used to work for the bad guy. Now you're working for me. I mean, it's like, it's like Jesus. How many of you remember junior high? Enough said. (laughs) We'll have a ministry team up front (laughs) and an overflow room (laughs) for everyone who who remembers junior high. (laughs) If you're in junior high right now, we want to pray for you. I mean that honestly. I, I, I really mean that. You know, here's my point. Okay. You know, how many of you sat in junior high, you know, sixth or seventh grade, you know, gym class? Okay, let's choose sides. No, let's not. Please. 
let's not focus on my inadequacy anymore, please. And I'll tell you, what I see in the scriptures, you know, is Jesus walking in to the junior high of our lives and he's just looking over and saying, I want all of you. Who do I pick first? I must have you on my team. Yeah, I see the outside and I know what you feel about yourself, (laughs) but I know the truth because I made you. What I put in you, we need in the kingdom. It's like Jesus came in and said, I choose you for my team. I, I want you. You're qualified, you're delivered from the line of am I good enough, and you're transferred into the team. You're on, you're in. You know, it's like the the father and Jesus are talking, like, I can't believe you got her. You got Andrea. I mean, she's the best, except for John, who's also the best. You know, Jacqueline, our community pastor, likes to go around and say, God loves me best. And he loves you best, too. He can do that, right? God chose us for his team. He didn't just deliver us and leave us on, his own, on our own. He transferred us onto his team. We live in the kingdom. So I want to remind you today, you live in the kingdom of God. You live in the kingdom of light. You live in the kingdom that is your inheritance. And when, you know, when the enemy says to you, when you're walking into church on a Sunday or home group on a Wednesday or wherever you minister, whatever you do, you're walking in and, the enemy's saying, you don't belong, you're unqualified, you know, you still got this issue. You just, you do not belong here. You, you turn, I don't, I, don't, I don't recommend you talk to the enemy, okay? You just affirm the truth. You know what? I belong here because I've been chosen by Jesus. And if anyone has an issue with that, they can talk to him. I, I think we've got to walk in that kind of confidence. I have to walk in that kind of confidence. Because the world doesn't always remind me I'm great. (laughs) I don't always remind me I'm great. But Jesus is always looking to pull out the gold. Right? So we've been uh, been qualified. We've been delivered. We've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. I had a... We'll we'll close here. Uh, When I was in uh, fourth grade, I went to a, a private school. A private school that I didn't belong at, in my humble opinion. You know, I just grew up sort of average kid, and I get put in this private school, and I just, I just didn't fit. I just felt uncomfortable there. For four years, I felt uncomfortable there. You know, like, these aren't my people. I just, this isn't working for me. And so a lot of self-conscious condemnation, insecurity. Anybody know that stuff? You know, that, I think that was the enemy just trying to plant a big, fat, hairy, disgusting lie in my life. And he worked on it for some, some years. So I, that was fourth to eighth grade. God loves me. He loves me best. So, so God sent someone for me. And in fifth grade, uh, another kid came into the school. His name was Chris. We became best friends almost right away. Because you know what? Chris didn't fit either. He, he didn't fit in the school. We were, we were simultaneous outcasts. I make it sound much worse than it was. You know, This was the feeling, though. This was the feeling. Well, Chris only stayed there for a year. He went back to the public school, and I stayed in the, hel- I stayed in the private school. <laughs> it's terrible. For another, another three years. What I didn't realize when I first met Chris, is a small town, but I was new to the town. It was my first year. I had never lived there before. What I didn't realize was, is that Chris was a member of the family in town. 
This small town Pennsylvania, you know, there's a family. And he was in it. He was the youngest of uh, five brothers and a sister. And they were all the football players, the basketball players, the cheerleaders. The, they owned the business in town. They were the best looking. They were it. You know, I didn't have any idea. But they were the family to know in the town. And especially, you know, when, when their kids went from fourth grade to, you know, senior in high school at that point. I mean, they're it, you know. This is who you want to be with. Well, I didn't know that. In fifth grade, I got to know Chris. When I left the, the private school in ninth grade, I walk into the public school feeling like I'm not going to fit here either. You know what happened on day one? I walked down the hall and there's Chris. He's like, Randy. And like, I, this is way more dramatic than it was, okay? <laughs> it seemed to me at that point that rock star status was conferred upon me. And it clearly was not my looks, my skill, you know, anything. Because they didn't know me yet. <laughs> I mean, they didn't know who I was. What? It was my relationship to Chris. It's like the whole school was looking like, you're with him? Well, then we're with you. Like, that's good enough. And, and so much of what I even was able to do in high school, the good and some of the bad, you know, was because I, I had this relationship with the guy. Now, he wasn't Jesus, right? But we walk out in a world that's looking very much to figure out where we fit, you know? And, and that is how we walk in the kingdom. We're with the guy. I mean, we're with Jesus. When, when we walk in and all that stuff comes from inside, you're disqualified, you're, you're whatever, we can just say, but wait a minute, I'm with, I'm with Jesus. If Jesus says, I want you, guess what? You're in. You're wanted. I think we, we walk out. We need to walk out our deliverance. We need to live our deliverance from those lies and from that bondage, from that understanding of that we have to do in order to be. We have to work in order to get. That's not the kingdom. The kingdom is we've been qualified and we've been delivered and we've been transferred. And you know what? Last point, we've been redeemed. You know what that means? There's no debt to pay. So you might be feeling, well, he qualified me, he, he, he delivered me, he transferred me, I've got to pay Jesus back. So Paul just says, just so you know, he redeemed you. And what that means is the price has been paid. There's nothing left. The blood of the cross was enough. We don't pay Jesus back. We just live out our love for him. We just express the gratitude of our hearts by living out our deliverance day by day. He's redeemed us. Let's pray. Why don't you stand? And uh, those of you on the ministry team uh, for today, if you could come forward and just stand in the front, the ministry team. Let's pray. God, thank you that you're present here. Your love is present here. Your grace is present here. The truth of your word and your spirit are present here in power. Well, um, just while I'm praying, there's a picture that comes to my mind and it's like I see an oil field and I see uh, drills going down into an oil field. And I think, you know, the, the image to me um, says what God wants to do is, he, is he, wants, he wants to drill down in us a new source of truth. And it's, it's really important that we walk in this truth 
these truths, what God has already done for us. So if there's a place in one of these places, in one of these areas, you feel disqualified. You, you feel bound by sin again. You feel like you know that you're, you're saved, but you're not living out in the kingdom, your, your inheritance. Or maybe you feel like there's a debt still to be paid and you feel guilty. And I just ask you to come forward this morning and let somebody pray for you and let the Spirit of God forgive you and empower you. So Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. Lead us into truth and change us from the inside out. In the name and for the glory of Jesus, amen. If you'd like someone to pray for you this morning, you're welcome to come forward and and just ask one of the ministry team members or just come forward to pray on your own or with someone that you came with. That's great.